second part of our series, The Gathering Storm, where we're looking at how secularism is challenging the biblical narrative, and the modern behavioral sciences are giving us different origins. Rather than creation, we have evolution. Rather than the idea of sin, we have mental illness uh, in psychology. And rather than heaven, we have the utopia of a, uh, a communist state or a, a utopian state uh, that is given in sociology. Uh, then when you add to that the postmodern rethinking of notions of reality uh, that are being seen in critical race theory and gender fluidity, um, it becomes really important for parents to teach their children to think and understand biblical categories. We really need to be able to think in terms of good and evil, holy and common, clean and unclean, in the way the Bible uses those terms, because it's the way to think biblically about reality. Uh, so it's important for the children to be able to compare and contrast these emerging definitions that are becoming normal in the culture. In some ways, uh, when I was growing up, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but Christianity kind of permeated the culture. And so you couldn't tell a lot of difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. There were a few things, but not much was different in them. Today, it is black and white in the sense of darkness and light. So last week, I talked about this live not by lies idea in the book that we're reading. And I said that in order to not live by lies, we have to live by the truth. And I suggested that biblical truth is not simply what is real, but the biblical perspective on reality. In other words, you're either going to look at reality through lenses that are focused on biblical categories, or you're going to look at reality through the lenses that the culture gives you, the secular culture. Those worldviews are significantly different. And while the historic American worldview and biblical worldview had an enormous amount of overlap, what we now have is overlap of terminology, but very different definitions for those terms. So it's important that we be aware of that. So one thing I talked about last week I want to underscore before I talk about this week's part is the difference in understanding behavior from a behavioral science perspective and a biblical perspective. Behavioral science thinks that our thoughts, our emotions, and our overt actions is what behavior is. And they are really focused right now, particularly in the postmodern world, on emotion, the validity of your emotions, and the validity of your personal experience. That's critically important to this kind of postmodern thinking. Biblically, the Bible thinks of the inner man as having thoughts and intents, or thoughts and motives, and the outer man is having words and deeds. And they should match. Our words and deeds should match. However, you'll notice that there's a major difference in the biblical terminology and the behavioral science terminology. 
the behavioral science terminology is very focused on emotions. And the biblical one almost doesn't mention them at all. That's not a small difference. And you need to be aware of that because emotion and personal experience is what is permeating the media and the school systems in their perspective on reality. While the biblical perspective is on truth that we talked about last week. And the experience of doing the word. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he didn't give them a theological treatise. If you look at the Torah, and we read through the Torah every year, you'll notice that it's narratives, stories, and commandments, rules. That's what a people that have spent 400 years in slavery needed. They didn't need a Greco-Roman discussion of how many angels could stand on the head of a pen. They needed to know the stories because narratives can be remembered. And then they needed to know the commandments or the rules of how to live. And they would then live by faith. And as they obeyed the commandments, as they walked in the commandments with the explanations of the narrative, they would have an experience. Not a personal experience, a communal experience with truth. So the big difference here is if children are not raised with biblical truth and with doing the word, they're going to have emotional patterns and experiential uh, uh, memories that are geared to the secular worldview. If they are taught the biblical narratives and trust those biblical narratives and learn to have experiences of obedience in the commandments, then they will see reality through the perspective of biblical categories. Really, really critically important. So, uh, biblical perspectives acknowledge emotion. This is important. But it does not make it primary. And you'll see that in the verses we look at today. It's vital that this difference is understood by the children because they are recipients of emotional manipulation from the media, from technology, from entertainment, from schools and sports organizations. And we're not going to be able to isolate them from those. We can maybe pull them out of the most egregious ones. Some people pulling kids out of school into homeschool. But you're not going to completely eliminate this. So I'm going to talk later in the series. What we have to do is not isolate them from that. That would be dangerous when they re-enter. We have to immunize them. Now, immunization is this notion that's going on right now with the COVID thing. Is if you give somebody an immunization process, it mitigates... Or eliminates the fact that they will get caught with this stuff. In other words, that's what parenting needs to be about. That's what congregation needs to be about. The immunization of our children so they can be in the world but not be of the world in that sense. So today what I want to do is address the opposite of revealed truth. Walking in truth. That is the idea of lies. So I've titled this The Nature of Lies. Now, the words of the Bible that are used for lies, 
I'm not going to go through them like I went through the truth ones. But the words for lies, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, have an idea of falsehoods that are intentional to go against revealed truth. So it's not the kind of lie that a kid would tell his mom, did you steal the cookie? No, I didn't. That's just self-protection. Right? What, what the Bible uses as lies and, and uh, these concepts that we're looking at is not about somebody telling you something that isn't correct, but something that isn't truth or an alternative to truth. So these things stand against the truth and they are used as a way of manipulating people away from the truth. And the source behind this, if the source behind truth is God, the source behind these things is Satan. And that's why there's a spiritual battle going on. So I want you to look at our first passage. It's in John 8. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 31. I put in the bulletins just the key verses for the three sections of scripture that we'll look at. Uh, but we're going to start in verse 31 and go to verse 47 in, uh, in John 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him. Notice this. He's talking to people who are believing him. If you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from lies. Okay. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say you will, we, you will become free? And he said, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Yet you're seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. So clearly there's both believing Jews here and unbelieving. And that's the difference. Those who come to the truth, those who hear the truth, are being given the light of God. And the others have a different source. He says, I speak the things that I have seen with my father. Therefore, uh, you also do the things that you heard from your father. And they said, our father is Abraham. And Jesus said, if Abraham was your father, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. Okay. This is the like father, like son uh, cliche. If you are a child of God, act like God. Resist the proud, give grace to the humble, right? If you are not like God, then someone else is your father. And so he says, you are doing the deeds of your father. And they said, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. No, we're, we're God's children. He said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you do what he desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not from God. Now, John is going to pick up on this. John is standing with Jesus at the time. And he's going to say that. Little children, they are of the world. Therefore, the world hears them. We're of God. Those who hear us understand God. So this is about knowing God and not knowing God. Retaining truth and not retaining truth. Really important to keep this uh, in place. So this encounter between Jesus and two groups of Jews, some believed and some did not. The difference is those who follow the truth and follow God and those who follow lies and Satan. The spirit of truth and the scriptures go together. Notice they both are using the scriptures. The scriptures without the spirit of God means that you're going to interpret them from your own perspective and that is one of sin and of Satan. And therefore, two people can look at the scriptures and come to very different conclusions. But those who are doing the word are justified and those who are only talking about the word are not justified. And the scriptures clear about all of that. So, This is why I want you to primarily, with your children, use the word truth in a more narrow sense. Truth needs to either be given a marker, we're talking about revealed truth, we're talking about God's truth, not man's truth. Or we need to not use the word truth for accurate information. I try to use the word accurate information for things that are accurate. These chairs are all facing the same direction, right? That's accurate information. If I say these chairs are all facing the same direction, well, they are in the sense that they're all facing the middle, right? Now we get into relativity, and that's the problem with knowledge. But truth is eternal and unchanging, That God loved the world and sent his son is not a changeable thing. That Jesus rose from the dead is not a changeable thing. There is truth that is eternal and there's knowledge that's relative to whatever we're talking about. Very important that your children understand that difference. All falsehood and all lies are going to come even by people who are quoting scripture. So just telling your kids to believe the Bible is not enough. The Spirit of God needs to indwell us. He needs to illuminate us. We need to do this communally. And they need to be doers of the Word so that they have an experience with God. Not an experience about God. An experience with God that comes out of obedience. And that doesn't happen by going to church. 
That doesn't happen by sitting in worship. It happens by worship. I am so thrilled to see the children. I know it can get a little crazy. But I love to have the children stand with their parents when they open the ark and when they do the prayer and all that. They are learning to walk in their parents' footsteps who are walking in obedience to the word. That's an experience that most children in most churches don't get. They get to draw pictures of Jesus. And they need to make little mangers out of, out of popsicle sticks. All good things, but we're talking about them needing to walk in the obedience to God that comes out of the commandments and the narratives themselves. So, why is this critical? Because we are beginning to see this culture divided, particularly the secular religious culture, over the idea of is there a God or is there not a God? And that divide is getting greater and greater and greater. So we'll go to our second passage, which is Romans chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up at verse 18. The Apostle Paul is speaking here in Romans. And he's drawing in Romans from the Psalms and from Genesis and from the book of Ecclesiastes and a number of other uh, texts. He's assuming that the people he is talking to are familiar with the law and the prophets. They know what he's talking about. So he doesn't have to quote a lot of verses because they'll pick up on what he's talking about. So he says this in in verse uh, 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I want you to catch that phrase. Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. What's the means by which we experience the truth? By walking in the truth. And therefore you experience the righteousness of faith and the righteousness of obedience. They're not the same. One saves and the other one blesses. The righteousness of faith saves. The righteousness of obedience blesses. Okay? That's really important. You're not going to ever do anything that's going to earn your salvation. But you can earn the blessing of God, both in this life and more importantly in the life to come. But those who work unrighteousness, not doing the right thing, your kids need to know that word simply means doing right and not doing right, uh, they suppress the truth. The truth gets choked. The truth Truth fades in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Very important to realize that all that this creation is requires a Creator. And therefore, if I'm going to worship something, I'm going to have to worship something that's greater than the creation. But most pagan religions worshipped the creation rather than the creator. Now, listen to what Paul says. He says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So what's going on? They say, oh, we got to worship something in this. So the prophets mock them by saying they go into the forest, they cut down a tree, they take the log, they cut it in half, and when one half of it, they cook their dinner, burning it. To the other, they set it up, carve it into a shape of an animal, and then burn incense to it as if that's God. Now you have to be stupid to believe that. You have to have a futile mindset. To believe that. But that's the direction mankind went. But they didn't stop there. Where do they go once they turn from the true God? They turn to the next thing. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity. So that their bodies would become dishonored among them. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. And the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What do we see? All of a sudden, what began in the beginning, in the, in the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created us. Why? For the purpose of marriage, companionship in marriage, for the purpose of sexual procreation, and for the purpose of parenting. That's out the window. No longer believing in God, just looking at what the body can do. We don't look at purpose, we only look at function. And now the function is pleasure and passion. So you see a sexuality that's shifted. Is there any wonder that that's going on today? Beyond that, he says. And just as they did not see fit, verse 28, to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things that are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That pathway of humanity that seems to happen from generation to generation is happening now in this culture. Paul says that first comes idolatry, a turning from God. As you turn more from God, you turn from his commandments and his purpose in terms of marriage and sexuality. And then you turn from that into every direction of unrighteousness. Because they are ignorant of God and don't know him. Those who know him really shouldn't be practicing these things. 
But we have another evil in the church, and it's called grace. I don't mean biblical grace. I mean worldly grace. That means letting people get by with things. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid, because you'll become a slave of that thing. The very words that Jesus used when he talked about this. This is the condition of the world. God scattered that early group into the nations and the nations went around with their different gods and their different lifestyles and all of that. And then God said, now I'm going to bring a light into the world. And he starts with Abraham. That's why the discussion was over the fatherhood of Abraham. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And then Abraham obeyed God and he was blessed. And so what you have then is the nation of Israel who is the only culture created by God. The only one that has God's ways to be a light to the nations. Now they've put their light often under a bushel because the nations don't like that. And they have worried about trying to survive as well. But the idea is that God would bring them as a light and then he would bring out of that nation his Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world whose incarnation we are celebrating at this time. We have one more text I want you to look at. It's Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 17. Like to go through the whole chapter, but we don't have time. Now, what Paul says in Ephesians is that God has concluded, and he says this in Romans 2, that both Israel and the nations have sinned. The nations sin because they don't know God, Israel sinned because they became hard hearted to God. And thought they could wiggle around those things. So we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so what the law could not do, weak through the flesh, God did in sending his son and condemning sin in the flesh so that we could begin to walk in the direction of righteousness. A righteousness of faith that saves and a righteousness of obedience that not only blesses us, but shows who the Father is. Because if, if you're able to do that, if you're beginning to walk in the right ways, that's got to come from God. It's not coming from you. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So Paul then writes to the Gentiles, those of us who are uh, not Jewish and not part of Israel, but have been brought alongside them. So this I say... And affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Because they don't know God. Being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know God and they don't know his word. And because of the hardness of their heart that is caused by sin. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. 
Boy, you could just see a footnote that says, I'm talking about the Americans, right? It's really Western culture. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ this way. You know what breaks my heart? A lot of our fellow believers did learn Christ that way. That you can do whatever you want, and as long as you believe and you say the magic words, you can go to heaven. So you can have everything in this world and the next world too. And that's simply not true. And Paul says to the Ephesians, you know better than this. You didn't learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him, right? Because if you've heard him, you'll hear his words and begin to obey his words. And you have been taught in him because the truth is in Jesus. So, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted. Notice he doesn't say, which was corrupted. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The deceit of the lies. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind by means of God's word and God's spirit and be an doer of the word. And then you put on the new self which is in the likeness of God having been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, of the word of God. Lay aside all falsehood and speak truth, not accurate information, speak the biblical truth to one another with his neighbor because we're members of one another. Living not by lies doesn't mean I know the truth and I don't share it with you. I know the truth, but I'm going to talk like the world when I'm with the world. It means that we reinforce each other by speaking the truth together. Now, here comes the emotions. Be angry and do not sin. I both love and hate that verse. I'll tell you why. My wife grew up in a religious context that seemed to think that anger was sin. And I think that may be true in a lot of, uh, more among females than among men, right? Uh, men know that getting rid of anger is darn near impossible. Just like women know getting rid of sadness is darn near impossible, right? We'll quit getting angry when you quit crying. It ain't going to happen, right? So here's the deal. I can be angry, but I have to control my emotion, not validate my emotion. I have to make sure that my emotion does not cause me to walk against the commandments. I can be sad and sin not. I can be emotional. Emotions are not sin but they're not allowed to be an excuse or a motive for sin. Because that gives opportunity to the devil. Because the wrath of man does not work the will of God. The sadness of women does not work the will of God. 
that chasing after pleasure does not work the will of God. Those things have to be curtailed. And this goes to overt behavior too. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. That is not our notion of social justice anymore. That's the deed, now comes the word. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We should be looking for ways to encourage and provoke one another unto love and good works, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Speaking the truth to one another, reinforcing one another in the truth. Not living by lies. And remember, the Spirit of God has to be with us because it's not the Scriptures alone. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he hits the emotional framework again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. I'll tell you the words that's not there, but that's what it's talking about. This is a person who knows their own capacity for wretchedness and therefore is not going to be judgmental of the other one. There's a humility here. Now you guys know about my period of rebellion. Um, I've talked about it in classes for almost 40 years. Um, God let me during that time see what I'm capable of apart from his grace. I don't ever want to head down that road again. But every day I sense it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. The sealing of the Holy Spirit for thy courts above. This is not a one-time, pull off the old man, put on the new one, and now we're okay. This is every day, Paul says, I die daily. Every day I have to crucify the old man. Every day I have to remind myself that I belong to God and not to the world. And I have to walk in God's ways and not in the world's ways. That was much easier when I was a child. And again, I wasn't even in a Christian home or a Christian. The children of the Disciple Center are walking in a world that wants them to stumble wants them to fall, wants them to disbelieve, and is actively working at that. And while we need to pray for them, we have to equip them to be able to do that. So, we have to walk in truth 
illuminated by the Spirit, conform our minds and our behavior to the kingdom and the truth. And teach our children the truthful categories of God and how to maintain control over their emotions and their passions. We have to help them see the difference between those who know God and those who believe lies. Now the danger here is to teach your kids, here's the lies and is, and then they say, what you said is a lie, and then they're going to be in conflict. So here's where we're going. Next time I'm going to list specifically what the lies are that we must not live by and how we can immunize our children from these lies. And then I'm going to talk about a way for them to navigate through whatever they have to navigate through so that they will not bring uh, reproach for disobedience from God or undue persecution and alienation from the people around them. We're going to have to teach them to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in doing this, not judgmental and like a prophet, you know, screaming the truth from the, from the rooftop. There's a time and a place for that, but that's not the children's job. We want to try to protect them as much as we can. Um, I don't want them to be judgmental or be perceived as hateful when they are walking in the convictions of the Lord and of the truth. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we